Thoth's Hermes podcast. Welcome to the world of the Western esoteric tradition. Friends and listeners, welcome to a new episode of the Thoth Hermes podcast. This is episode number 22 of our season 4 and it is called Tantra and Chaos. And for those who follow our podcast closely, you already know that our guest on today's show will be Phil Hine. And that will also explain why we call the show Tantra and Chaos. Right, guys, um, today is Sunday, June the 7th, and I'm speaking to you, as always, from the outskirts of my lovely city of Vienna. My name is Rudolf, and I am your host. Yes, it is Sunday the 7th of June, and for those of you who listen to this uh, to this podcast carefully each week, you realize that last week I made an error when I announced the date. I was one week behind. I had taken one week off, uh, so that episode number 21 last week came out one week later than planned, and somehow in my mind we were still May the 17th and that uh, May the 24th. You see, I get that completely wrong, right? It was May the 31st in the end. Anyway, you got that. No worries. And what is a date anyway? Today is 7th of June. Okay. Right. Welcome to this new episode. And if it's the first time that you are with us on the show, welcome to the Thought Service podcast. I don't know how you found us, probably on one of the numerous podcast outlets that now carry the Thought Hermit podcast, which makes me very happy. We are up to more than 2,500 listeners each week, and that is great. But of course, I'm happy to get many, many more still. So if you want to tell somebody how to go to the Thought Hermit podcast, what do you do? Go to the website, tell them to find the website on thoughthermes.com. That is D-H-O-T-H-E-R-M-E-S.com. There you can find all the episodes, all the show notes to each episode, which I think is really important in some cases especially. And you will find also a possibility to give me some feedback. And feedback is something that I really enjoy. Feedback can be given through email, because easily, info at thoughthermes.com. But on the website, you will also find a contact form, which works really nicely. And you can send me, yes, a voicemail. Just click on that little tab on the right side of your screen, which says send voicemail. And you have, I believe it's 1 hour 30 time to record a free voicemail. And I always love hearing your voice. Thank you for all the feedback that you give me. I really, I really appreciate that. And while we are at it, uh, if you have some music that you produce yourself or that you know friends who are into the occult and they are musicians, well, let me know because I'm always happy to play my listeners' music 
here in the show. It happens regularly and uh, it would be lovely to get more from you. So let me know if you are a musician or you know a musician who would like to appear here on the show. As always, and you know that I also give you a report on the Patreon status of this podcast. Yes, well, I, as all podcasters, we need your support here. And I think you understand that we have now today three, 33 supporters on Patreon. That's slowly increasing. It's getting there. It's getting there. So please, if you have a possibility to support this podcast by as little as $1 per episode already. We are really happy to have you as a patron and you get some small but nice benefits. Uh, like, for example, you are allowed to ask special questions, which only the patrons will get as a reply to our guests. And there are other little benefits that you will be aware of when you become a patron. So please go to the Patreon website, look for the Thoughts Hermes podcast and click becoming a patron. And if you don't know how to find that website, well, go on our website, thoughtshermes.com. And there we have two possibilities. There you have a Patreon button, which brings you directly to that page where you can become a supporter or if you prefer, and there are always a few of you who prefer that way, and thank you to them as well. Um, and you can make a donation, a one-off donation to this podcast. Both of it is really helpful and appreciated. And once again, I would like to thank all of you who have become patrons already and who support this podcast. You're doing a great support, not only to me, but also to this community here. So all the others who have not yet done that, think of it and maybe even out of a sign of solidarity to those who already do it would be nice thank you so much right well before we go closer to today's interview with phil hein as always you know i play you some music we play today three pieces again as always but by one single band and this band, I think, is a really very nice, very special band that I would like to introduce you to you today. Um, this podcast is European, as you know, and the band is European too. Today it's a real European show. We have a European interview guest. Um, we have a European band. That's nice. And it's so great because I like the fact that we have a lot of European content here on this show and we are a bit exceptional maybe within the occult um, podcast community. And still we have about 85% of our audience which are North American. And I find that's great because it's really linking people and that's all what occultism and esotericism is about. We want to be together. We want to be one community and we don't want to make differences between countries, people and whatever. We like that. And this is why also I do this podcast. Right. So today's band that we are going to introduce is called Trobar de Morte. 
Trobar de Morte is a band that was created in 1999. And it's a very ambitious project that was then created by the Lady Morte, she calls herself, a multifaceted artist. She's a singer and songwriter. And she had been playing at several festivals before that, including one big tour with the famous German group Faun and had been touring big bunches of Europe with that. And then they created in 99 their own, their own gang, their own band, Trobar de Morte. And by its name, you can see it's a Spanish group and they have started working with the Celtic Orchestra or Celtic Orchestra of Barcelona, toured through Europe with co-headliners with the moon and the night spirit anyway and they do really great music i think as you can say by their name troba de morte they have a very special style which is very linked to occultism witchcraft and paganism they call themselves a dark medieval pagan folk that's the style of music they do dark medieval pagan folk so an interesting mix they also, if you go to one of their concerts, which unfortunately I cannot show you here, but maybe if you can find some on YouTube, they also do kind of ritualistic work, uh, performances, dances and ritualistic elements when they do um, uh, performances with audience. So um, that's also a very special uh, approach they take to their music. Anyway, enough talk. Um, the first piece that we are going to hear today on this show with Trobar de Morte is called Morgana. Well, Morgana, you know, the fairy Morgana. Of course, I don't have to introduce her to you. And, well, I just say, go and listen to this wonderful music by Trobar de Morte, Morgana. Enjoy.
Ghana. A wonderful song, musical piece, musical performance by a group called Trobar de Morte from Spain. And you're going to hear more from them later in the show. Okay, and now we are going to meet Phil Hein. Those of you who like to discover little accents, you will not have a hard time discovering that Phil Hein is from the north of England. Well, I really like that lovely accent. He's actually from Blackpool. That's where he was born and grew up. And he now lives in London. And Phil Hein has certainly been become really important for the occult scene when he published his most uh, his best known books uh, condensed chaos pseudonomicon and prime chaos uh, they were internationally very well known when they came out and still are they are really um, highly interesting analysis and works accompanying chaos magic and uh, its development but he is much more than that. He is a writer in general. He's a book reviewer. He is an occultist himself. And to nowadays, he is a, or he has been for quite some time interested a lot and practicing a lot in the tantric side. So he is uh, a very funny person, I believe, because we had a great time when we talked. Um, it was a, he is very chatty. He likes to tell you about his life, about his stories. And he uh, had a lot to say because he has gone, he has made a lot of experiences in very different ways. Also, many of them in Wicca and witchcraft, which I personally did not know. Maybe those of you who know Phil Hein already a little bit better knew that, but I discovered that. And it was really very interesting to hear all that funny and interesting, I can say. Okay, uh, I won't keep you much longer. We will go to London in a sec to speak to Phil Hein. Uh, before that, just to let you know that, as always, after quite exactly 30 minutes today, we will come back to have a little break and to listen then to another piece of music in that break. For now, I will now go to speak with Phil Hein. Here comes the interview. It is a great pleasure for me tonight to welcome here on the Thoughts Hermes podcast, Phil Hein, who is joining us here from the United Kingdom. Uh, good evening, good afternoon, Phil, to you over there. Hi. Hi, Hi there. Um, Phil, um, I don't know if I, all of our listeners know that, but last February, on the February the 13th, to be precise, Treadwell's bookstore in that famous bookstore in London that many of those listeners probably do know, um, presented you with your new book. You did a reading and a book launch there of a new book called Heinz Varieties, Chaos and Beyond. And I was happy enough to, to get that book and to read parts of it at least yet. Um, and 
really, I think the title Heinz Varieties shows very well what we want to do here today, because we want, of course, to present what you have been doing lately in that book and in other in other um, writings and doings. But also, of course, talk a little bit about where it all came from and those varieties and chaos and beyond. I think it's a perfect subtitle for that. So um, uh, my first question to you, Phil, tonight is how did it all start for you? I you know people who work and write in the esoteric and the occult, uh, um, they often have their personal story, how they came into it, uh, what was the kickoff and where did it go from there to make you the Phil Hine that you are today? So let's go a little bit back in time and speak about that. Okay, well, I got into the occult, I was probably about 16, 17, something like that. Um, mm -hmm. To be honest, I thought it was all rubbish. Yeah, I had no interest in it at mm -hmm. all whatsoever. Uh, but then one day I, I, was, I was sitting in the school library and I was leafing through a book called Man, Myth and Magic. It was a kind of like magazine right. part, part work in, from the, that would be the, mm -hmm. about 1977, something like that. Very influential of its time. All I was looking for was pictures of nude witches. You know, 17-year-old boy. <laughs> of course, what else? <laughs> what else would you be looking in an occult book for other than pictures of nude witches? Uh, and whilst I was idly browsing through this book, I found I came across this picture by Austin Austin Spare. Now, I'd got into reading Jung recently. I'd been studying psychology and um, sociology. Uh, there were two courses on my academic curriculum. And I'd been reading some Jung, and I was kind of like getting quite into it. Uh, there was something about the Spare picture that kind of like resonated with me. I forget what it was exactly, um, right. but there was something about Jung's ideas and the spare picture that kind of like meshed in my mind. And I started to think, well, you know, maybe this occult stuff isn't all rubbish after all. Maybe I should, you know, have a read of it and see, mm -hmm. see if, you know, see if there's anything that gels with me. So I went along to my local library and just basically read everything in the library, which was mostly like a load of spiritualist stuff and theosophical stuff. And I think maybe one. I was going to ask what was what would be around in a what would be around in a public library in the nineteen seventies. What would that be? That would be um, Blavatsky. So I read the Secret Doctrine. Yeah. In all three volumes, uh -huh. um, some spiritualist wow. stuff, you know, um, loads of Dennis Wheatley, uh, and I think actually there was one Kenneth Grant book. I think they had a copy of Images and Oracles oh. and Austin of Austin Austin Spare. But basically, I read really? loads of stuff. And um, I got hold of David Conway's book, um, Magic and Occult Primer. And I started mm -hmm. to do some of the, you know, the, the exercises in it. Uh, I, was, I was also into yoga at the time. I was, I was doing Hatha Yoga with a, I forget the guy's name, but he was a student of Iyengar, you know, BK Iyengar, the famous mm -hmm. yoga teacher. Uh, so I was, doing, mm -hmm. I was already doing meditation and yoga, um, and I was starting to do like basic occult exercises like, you know, banishing rituals and the middle pillar and stuff like that. Um, and I was also an avid uh, fantasy war gamer. Me and my, me and my mates, we started off playing World War II 
uh, wargaming with little tanks. We'd all read Tolkien's <laughs> Lord of the Rings at the same time and instantly switched over from tanks to orcs and elves. Um, <laughs> and like one day I was, I'd played this huge war game with this mate of mine uh, and I, he'd beaten me like really embarrassingly by a large margin and I was fuming and he was like taking the piss out of me and, and I said, oh, I'll get you for this. And he said, well, what are you going to do? Curse me. And I went, yeah, I think I will. Um, and I went, uh, th- there'd been this program on Reese on the ITV channel but that week. It was um, a reimagining of M.R. James's famous story, The Casting of the Runes. And I'd watched mm-hmm. this and got really interested. And I thought, I'm, I'm going to, there's this bit where this guy creates like a thought form. And, and this woman wakes up in bed and there's this horrible spider thing on the bed. And I just kind of like went home and, you know, seethed, seething and twisting with all the, you know, anger and bitterness of a 17-year-old who's just had his army kick the shit out of him. Mm-hmm. Um, and I kind of like spent all night, you know, kind of like imagining this huge spidery thing over my mate's bed. And I saw him the next day and then he said, oh, I don't know if you did anything, but I had a really horrible nightmare. And I thought, ha, 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 it works. And that was, <laughs> that was the first actual magical thing I did. You know, I cursed somebody. <laughs> you know, I'm not proud of it now, of course, but, you know, when you're 17, you don't yeah, any better, yeah. do you? So it oh, kind of kicked course. up from there, really. That's one of the... F- that's one of the funniest stories of a start in an occult career I've ever heard, Phil. <laughs> thank you, thank you. Well, yeah. it gets better. Um, when I was 18, I went off to, to, to study at a polytechnic. These were kind of like universities. We don't have them anymore in the UK, but in the, in the, in the late 70s and 80s, if you weren't good enough to go to a proper university, you went to a polytechnic. Uh, and I went mm-hmm. to this place called Huddersfield Polytechnic to do to study a three-year degree in behavioural sciences, so kind of like psychology, sociology, philosophy, you know, a little bit of everything. I got into H.P. Lovecraft during the meantime because I, I used to I used to read a lot of Clark Ashton Smith. Do you know him? American mm-hmm. yes, like, yeah, yeah. So, and I always used to wonder who's this guy on the back of Clark Ashton Smith's book who keeps writing all these stuff, all this stuff about Smith. You know, this H.P. Lovecraft geezer. So, I started reading Lovecraft. Yeah. Um, I know, and um, I'd I'd started to kind of like penetrate into the occult scene. Now, I mentioned earlier, I, I, you know, I'd read The Secret Doctrine, and I thought, wow, you know, if, if this is what they're on about in 1875, what are they going to be on about now? You know, what, you know, what secrets are these theosophists going to be penetrating the void with? Um, I moved to Huddersfield, and Leeds, which is, like, not far away from Huddersfield, turned out to have a theosophical mm-hmm. lodge, and they used to meet. And I went over to this theosophical meeting, and I was like the young, I was like, the youngest guy in the room by a considerable margin. I think the next guy was like in his fifties. Like one guy says to me, what are you studying? And I was like, psychology. And he goes, oh, William James. And I was like, we've moved on a bit. James, you know. Um, So, and I found out largely what the theosophical people were, they were still going on about the stuff that had been done in the 19th century, the early 20th century. They hadn't really kind of like, you know, Mm. Speeded up to modern to like 1950 level or anything later, but 
what that did for me was um, there was this other guy turned up one time who was who was also like young. He was older than me. I think he was in his like thirties, and he was doing a some kind of PhD or something on the occult. And he said to me, "Oh, there's this bookshop in Leeds called the Sorcerer's Apprentice. You should kind of like you know get your ass down there." So the Sorcerer's Apprentice was a kind of like. Um, it was like this old black shop. It was like an old kind of like 70s sex shop. You know, you, you had to kind of like knock on the door and a little flap would open. Um, uh, and you couldn't actually, you, yeah. they only let you in one day a week on, on a Saturday where they allowed you up for browsing. But they also had mm-hmm. this like, yeah, the boss, Chris Bray, had this little lock-up shop sort of like across the way. Mm-hmm. And he very cannily, he'd put in a table in and a coffee machine. And the idea was that as, after you'd spent all your, your readies, on a Saturday morning buying stuff in the social you, you could go and, and chat with other occultists. And I used to do that mm-hmm. and I, you know, I met some quite famous people like Pete Carroll and Ray Sherburn and that lot in, in there for the first time. Okay. And I was just kind of like sitting there okay. going, oh my God, all these strange people. Anyway, to cut a long story short, um, as I said, I got into H.P. Lovecraft and Love, Lovecraft kind of like really put the hook in me. And I just thought, well, you know, I wonder if it's possible to, to summon these creatures from, you know, from the, the Black Abyss that Lovecraft talks about. Um, and I'd got hold of Simon's Necronomicon. I think I probably got it from the Sorcerer Apprentice. I got the hardback thing. It was great, you know. It had this thing in the front saying, okay. this like disclaimer saying, oh, well, you know, the entity summoned by this book can't be banished. And I used to think, well, at least you can hit them with a book because it was really a heavy thing, you know, with <laughs> silver rings. It really looked <laughs> the part. It was great. You know? So right. I was, and I was living in this little village about five or six miles outside of Huddersfield. It was on the edge of a, like, a mountain range. So I, one night I walked up into the mountains, found myself like a flat-top little mountainlet, and did this this evocation of Yogg-Sothoth. And uh, mm-hmm. what I remember is, is, and I don't know if I hallucinated this or what, but this like beam of light came out of the heavens might have been a police helicopter for all I know, but it was like this beam of light came out of the heavens and kind of like illuminated the place where I was standing and I was like, shit! And I did a runner. You know, I literally ran down the mountain, you know, I was like freaking out. And, uh-huh. and ended up with this mate of mine who was also vaguely into the cult at about three o'clock in the morning. And he was like, I told you this would happen. I told you not to do that. I told you you'd got bananas, you know. And that really scared me, but it, it also kind of like encouraged me as well, you know. And I think what was good about sure. it, this is before I got into chaos magic or anything like that. I was just, you know, right. Uh, I didn't really have any any sense of of discrimination between different magical paradigms. Um, sure, you know, um, it was all just like one homo- one homogenous mess, really. You know, there's theosophy yeah, and, yeah, and we love were trying things out as well. Yeah. yeah. Uh, also, in this course, there was there were some people in, who'd been in the order of the cubic stone which was a kind of like um, Enochian magic thing. And they, they did a postal course in, in you know, basic Kabbalistic magic. So again, banishing rituals, um, middle pillar, all that kind of stuff. And I did the postal right. course and I used to, you know, write little letters off to my, to the guy who was mentoring me and he'd write back, you know, really stroppy letters telling me off for spelling magic with mm-hmm. a K. 
and you know warning me from doing sigil magic because it was like really dangerous sigil magic is really dangerous you shouldn't be doing it if you're a neophyte well I wasn't even a neophyte I was a probationer or something like that the the, the idea was that if you did very well during the end of your course and they invited you to become a neophyte but I never got that invite because they must have thought I was perhaps too weird you know um so and I guess I, I just spent three years, you know, studying psychology and having all kinds of weird experiences. Then what happened was I moved mm-hmm. back um, from Huddersfield back to my hometown, Blackpool, and I got these occult magazines again from the Sorcerer Apprentice. And I was leafing through them one day, and I found this advert for a witch coven who wanted. You know, they were like, we were, you know, advertising for new members. And I thought, well, you know, speaking ideally, I'd rather be in something a bit more get hard than, than witch, witches, you know, they're a bit fluffy. But since they're the only game in town, I thought I'd, I'd go along and, and, you know, see what's what. So I got invited to this, I rang this woman up, as it turned out to be, and she said, oh, yeah, we're, you know, we're over here on, on, the, on the outskirts of Blackpool. Uh, and I went along and, and met her and her, her this kind of like guy who was a ceremonial magician who worked with the coven and a couple of other people. And I ended up joining the coven. Um, and that kind of like... Okay. I had a really interesting time with the witch coven. You know, it was, they were... It was strange, but I, I learned a lot. I saw the first time I saw somebody get possessed... You know, I saw the high priestess get possessed by Hecate. That really freaked me out. You know, she used to. She was sure. she was very nice in a lot of ways. She used to. She had this thing of whenever she wanted to impart something really, it you know really kind of like top secret like, she'd we'd either go out for a walk on the on the sand dunes or we'd go and hide in the garden on, in a bush or something. We were like kids playing hide and seek, and she'd like get me in this bush and tell me whisper occult secrets to me, and then we'd have a cup of tea. Um, <laughs> and yeah, I, you know, I had a really interesting, really interesting time. And what what basically happened was after after the the usual year and a day, they were like, "Oh, we're going to initiate you now." And you know, I did this initiation, and I was you know blindfolded and had all the clothes taken off, and walk into this room. And the first thing I feel is this very sharp athame pressed against me, and I just have this kind of like. <laughs> If they are murdering lunatics, you know, I'm in trouble now. Um, and then what happened was they, they kind of like turned around and said, well, we, you know, we've made a mistake. We shouldn't have initiated you. You know, you're actually okay. not suited to do magic, you know, and, and it, it'll go mad okay. if, if you do it. So we're going to have to, we're very sorry, but we're going to have to tell you to sling your hook. And I was kind of like, well, as you can imagine, I was, by that, I was completely obsessed sure. with the occult, and I was completely gutted <laughs> by the idea that I was, yeah. not only that <coughs> I was being thrown out of the coven, I'd spent a year and a day with, you know, almost on a, like a, almost on a daily mm-hmm. basis, that my initiation had, had been all a, a cock up or something, and they were basically saying, you know, we don't want anything more to do with you. So I went off in a bit of a, um, a huff. Uh, very kind of like screwed up and I, I went off to Israel and worked on the kibbutz for about eight months um, travel around oh Egypt. really you did mm-hmm. yeah yeah travel around Egypt and I, I came back when Israel invaded the Lebanon and that you know the 82 wars yeah. kicked off and yep it was an interesting time again I did a lot of ritual magic I think I did Libra MMM 
on a kibbutz that kept getting rocketed by the PLO. That was kind of interesting. Um, <laughs> sure it was. But in, yeah, in, in 82, I, I sort of, I came back to the UK and I spent about a year living in a, in a village in, in rural Lincolnshire, which was not fun in the, in the extreme. Um, eventually got a job as a trainee psychiatric nurse, moved up to Nottingham. Okay. Hooked up with this group who were into kind of like, um, if you like, I suppose you could call it ritual drama. We did a lot of really interesting stuff with masks. Um, and then I think, what happened after that? Yeah, I moved to York because I switched from doing occupation, from doing psyche nursing to occupational therapy. Mostly because the hours are shorter, and you you know you seem to have a lot more fun as an occupational therapist. I moved to York, got involved with the kind of like alternative scene in York. We were doing like you know a lot of Discordian pulp stuff. Um, okay. And I'd, by this time, I'd, I'd you know I'd actually I'd actually read some of the early Chaos Magic texts. So I'd, I'd read Liebenol, um Book of Results. Theatre magic, all that stuff. Mm-hmm. In fact, I have to say, it was my high priestess who encouraged me to get interested in chaos magic because she was kind of like, well, you know, I haven't got time to keep up with all this newfangled stuff. You should do it. Um, I'm, okay. just, I'm just rambling now. Is, is, how are we doing? You know, I could, I can just. No, we're doing perfectly. I, I, I can I'm just talk your leg off if you like. Sure, everybody is. Yeah. Go, go, go like that. I love it. So, okay, so we're, we're um, I'm leaving huge amounts of things out I might have to come back to, but by the mid-80s, I'm living in York uh, in, a com- in a commune that's kind of like half hippies and half anarcho-punks. Um, okay. The th- I'm ba- I've actually got back with the original coven. Because whilst I was in Nottingham, they kind of like got back in contact with me and said, oh, you're doing well now. We're pleased with your spiritual progress. So they took, they took you in again? They, they took me in again, yeah. They, they, they cracked on that they'd been watching me on the astral plane, but I don't know. I'm always sceptical about that sort of thing. <laughs> um, <laughs> and what happened was, because I, was, I had to spend a lot of time in York where I was, again, studying to be an occupational therapist, they farmed me out to another coven. They, they, I think it's called. It used to be called fostering, and you know they made they made contact with this other coven and said, "Look, we've got this." You know, I think I was a second degree by then, and said, we, "You know, we could it could use some some regular contact." Um, mm-hmm. So, will you take him on now? And this is interesting because the first coven I was in, they had this absolute like they had a lot of funny rules. I mean, what, one thing was they got absolutely like paranoid about people finding out I was into the occult. So I, I, had, I had to keep my occult books hidden. They said to me, stuff like, if you're at a party and somebody else starts talking about the occult, you're supposed to go, oh, no, I'm not into all that, you know, and di- disavow all knowledge. Yeah. You, know, you had to be really, really secretive. Well, it started to chafe for me, uh, as you might imagine, because I'm a natural, you know, gabbler. I like to talk about what I'm doing. So I, found, yeah, I started, sure. started to chafe under that. So anyway, at the, at the first coven, at the mother coven, if you like, um, they had this thing that once you'd got the circle up, you, you couldn't cross it, yeah? Once, you, once you'd done the whole circle casting, and they had a very elaborate circle right. casting, it was, it was good stuff, uh, you, you couldn't cross it. You had to do this thing with knives where you can, like, put these two knives in this 
circle and climb, you know, made like a little mm-hmm. gateway. In fact, one time, yeah, we had this last with us, and she she'd imbibed a bit of the old cakes and wine too much. And she said, she's like, I'm going to be sick. You know, and she said, well, you can't be sick in the circle. So we had to do the thing with the knives, create this little hole in the magic circle, stick her head out, let her be sick, and then pull her back. You couldn't make it up. <laughs> anyway, I'm at this company no, in York. They're, they're doing their magical circle, and it's kind of like, oh, oh, shit, we forgot the incense. And they're, like, running across the circle. And I'm going, what's going on here, you know? Either these people are super magical adepts, because I was told that, you know, if you cross the magic circle, it, it bangs your aura or something like that. You know, it mm-hmm. bruises your aura and it's not very nice for the psychic inclined people. But these people were like yeah. back and forth like yo-yos across the circle. And I was either, well, you know, either they're super magical adepts, which actually I don't think they are. Or what I've been told about the magic circle is a bit, you know, it's a bit dodgy. And, I, you know, because I think when you first get into the occult, and particularly in, in those days where, you know, you join a group or you meet a bunch of people and they're your only contacts. You can't go on the internet. You know, you can't go down the local pagan mood because there probably isn't one in your town. So yeah. you're restricted to the people sure. who, who are around you and they, you know, help you form your opinions. So I was, I was gradually, totally. it took me a very long time actually to start questioning stuff that people told me. Mostly I, I just, mm-hmm. you mm-hmm. know, took it on trust that they were experienced. They knew what they were talking about. Sure. Um, but gradually I was starting to think, hang on, there's something a bit fishy about this. And I think my natural scepticism was starting to kick in. Um, so I got fostered by this this coven and, and then I had this, uh, there was this woman I was having an affair with. She was married with two kids, so we had to keep it a bit dark. And then the coven, the mother coven, decided that this woman wasn't good for me or something, that they didn't like her or uh, And the other coven I was seeing in York, they decided that that she needed to be separated from me and go and join them. So there was this, like, bum fight <laughs> over this, this, this woman I was having the affair with, you know. Um, that all got a bit strange. And in the end, the, the high priestess of the mother coven, she went very odd. Uh, is the only way I can put it. This was we're getting to about 1986 now. Um, she became yeah. convinced she was pregnant. <coughs> Excuse me, and she became convinced mm-hmm. that her baby would be like a future witch king. And she, I'm just looking for my water angle. And she named him Damien, sure. like Damien. I mean, okay. Can, can you okay. get any more, you know, yes. exorcist than that? No. Um, <laughs> Um, she started doing these massively, what she said were like massively cosmic rituals that were like really important and we're going to, you know, set the tone of the magic of the country for the next generation and all that stuff. And because I was kind of like her, her number number two neophyte in the coven, I had to attend a lot of this stuff. And I wasn't happy because, A, it, it sounded like she was definitely, you know, going off a rocker as far as I could see. Mm-hmm. Um, and getting very, you know, I'm a witch queen sort of thing. And I think and it, once you start declaring yourself to be a witch queen, then you've, you've definitely got problems. Mm-hmm. And it all culminated in this, in this massive ritual that was hugely important. And they'd invited all these you know, big knobs from the local wicker scene 
you know, Alexandrians, Gardnerians, traditionals, whatever. You know, there's, there's a lot of people there. And the day of the ritual, a lot of them would just start this massive argument. So by the time it came along to the ritual, I was kind of like, I don't want to get into the circle with these people. They've been arguing all day, you know. Two of them had a fight. Two of them had actually had a fist fight, you know. This is not perfect love, really? perfect trust uh, by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, 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 so I wasn't happy, but okay. I did the ritual anyway. I did it. And then in the evening, I went and lay down in one of the spare bedrooms and just thought, I'm going to, you know, chill out and have a bit of a float around on the astral plane, anything to just get away from all these mad people. So apparently, whilst I was lying there meditating, uh, somebody looked in and decided I was under attack on the astral plane by demons. So I came out of my meditative little trance to find this very large high priestess, not my own priestess, another one who was there, sitting on me, sitting astride me with a, you know, a knees on either side of my leg, with a dagger in my and a thame in my face going, you know, drawing a pentagram out of me. And I'm kind of like, what the fuck's going on, you know? And they oh, were like, oh, you, you were under yeah. attack by demons. And I was kind of like, no, I fucking wasn't, you know? So... The next day, I thought, I'm out of there. I'm just, you know, I'm going to get on the first train I can and have a beer and just go, you know. So I did that. and I could imagine you would do that, yeah. Yeah, and, and the next, over the next couple of days, I, I talked to this this friend of mine, who old, old guy who was a bit of a magical mentor to me, um, Richard Bartle, the Jewsbury Magus, as they used to call him. He's dead now, mm-hmm. poor son. Um and he was kind of like, that mad Philip, just ignore him, you know. And then they sent me this letter. And apparently the next day after, whilst I was on the train back to York, um, they'd all gone to some other, other big ritual in another part of mm-hmm. the country. And on the way in the cars, they'd had this, again, they'd had this astral message that I was under attack by demons. So they'd actually pulled into the hard shoulder, over onto the hard shoulder of the motorway and done a ritual to, to rescue me on the astral plane. And I was just like, you people are fucking mad. I want nothing more to do with you. And that, I pretty much broke from them by that point. And I, I started to, I started to uh, go down to another coven um, which yeah. I kind of like met up with, who, who were a bit saner, although, as it turned out, not by a great deal either, you know. They had problems. And I think mm-hmm. I was starting to learn an important lesson that you can you can do some real interesting magic in groups, but, you know, the problem with groups is always people, and people tend to, you know, wind each other up into a place where look, you can do lots of interesting magic, sure, but, you know... Interpersonal issues tend to be very prominent, particularly if the people have got, you know, if they've got a bit of a screw yeah, Absolutely. Loose, which does tend to be the case in magic. Yeah. I mean, you know. Absolutely. Loose in the head, you know. For the most part. Right, especially when you are young and you don't have much experience yet, as you said earlier, then of course you, you are pr- prey to those people because you don't even know that it's what it is you think that's normal you can be quite old and experienced and still have a screw loose because a lot of the people I met <laughs> were kind of like oh, oh you know we know what's best for you my dear and I was kind of like no you don't yeah um, yeah. yeah what did actually did this this other grouping was was that the high priestess uh, was, was seeing this fellow 
and this other guy kind of like hove into view and she instantly all over a period of time decided that they'd known each other in a previous life and they just had to you know get on with it and shag because because of this previous life thing it was it was it was cosmically important or karmically important and i was kind of like no you know if you want to shag him shag him but just don't come out with this bollocks about you know knowing him in a previous life don't look for an excuse. Don't look for an excuse. Just be honest about it. You fancy him, you know. He's he is kind of hot, you know. I have to admit that myself. I'd I'd give him one if he wanted, you know. But you know, don't come up with all this, <laughs> you know, karmic stuff that's just a, a rationalisation. Uh, there was a big yeah. fuss about that because uh, the the guy she was with wasn't happy about her, uh, you know, having this cosmic shack with this other mm-hmm. other sure. bloke, and yeah. that all. I kind of I left that group as well, so. By the time by the time we get to about 1988, I'd moved to Leeds because I knew people on the squat scene in Leeds who were again again these weird anarcho punk types. Um, I moved to Leeds, and and that's when I kind of like got hooked into Chaos Magic proper um, because Ray Sherwin was was just done the first issue of Chaos International just as I turned up. Mm-hmm. Um, I was. Do you know Dave Lee at all? It's by name, I have heard about yeah. him. Yeah, okay. Yeah. I, was living in, I was living in a, in a block, same block of flats that Dave was living in at, at some point during that right. phase. And I think Leeds is where I really got stuck into Chaos Magic and a lot of other stuff as well. You know, when I do those interviews, uh, and I think I told you that before, but I need to say that again today. When I do those interviews, I never plan where I will make the break. I keep in mind that after about half an hour, I will find a place where to break and to play you some music. Uh, And most of the time that's really easy. But with Phil, as it has been with some other guests before, with Phil it was really difficult to find the break because he just talks and it's so lovely to listen to him and you you don't want to break him. You know, you, you don't want to make that break. It's really in one flow what he has to say and it's funny and it's interesting i find it highly interesting what he has to say uh, so that break that we just making now was maybe a little bit abrupt but don't you worry we'll carry on just where we took off no real loss of information there Right, but now it's time for music, and as I said, we will again hear a piece by the Spanish dark pagan folk occult group um, Trobar de Morte, and this piece that we're going to hear now is called The Black Forest. And no, it's nothing to do with the Black Forest in Germany. It is a Black Forest, the Black Forest where you go in, which is eerie, which is dark, which is scary, which is occult. Right. So that's the Black Forest that they perform about in this piece of music that we're going to hear now. And I just say now, go and listen to Trobar de Morte. Yes. 
The Black Forest, performed by Trobar de Morte, a really nice, dark, and eerie piece, I believe. Okay, and back we go to continue my talk with Phil Hein. We are going to talk uh, quite some bit about pagan activism as well, and uh, in a few minutes when we restart, we will also then talk about, as promised, quite a bit about Tantra and Phil Hines' approach to that. Um, he will tell us also a little bit about his future plans, and we are looking forward to what he has to say about that as well. Um, I don't want to keep you any longer. Let's go back and meet Phil, but um, just to let you know that immediately after the end of this interview, there will be our third piece of music, as always, and Trobar de Morte will then perform a piece called Summoning the Gods. But for right now, back to Phil Hein. I should backtrack a bit. My, my story isn't linear. I, I got interested in Tantra in about, when would it be, 1982. How that happened was that I, I again, I you know, I've read loads of Kenneth Grant books, and you know, you you can't read a couple books from that period and not know people like Carly are, for example. No, but exactly. I had no yeah. particular yeah. interest. Yeah. You know, I was not drawn to Indian stuff really. Um, mm -hmm. I get back from Israel, and I just think I'm I'm living in this little village, you know, miles away from anywhere. You know, the library is like you know, two bus rides away, and there's a bus only two days a week, so I can't even get to the library. Uh, and actually, okay, I'm going to have a rest from, from heavy-duty occultism. I'm just going to kick back and, and meditate. Um, you know, chill out, maybe smoke some herbs or something, but not do anything too, too radical. Um, and I started having this recurring dream, and it was this recurring dream in, in which I was in this kind of like, you know, boneyard or cremation ground, and there's a goddess Carly standing there. I go, come on, come on, come here, come here, you know. Um, and I was kind of like, what is going on? Because I knew who Carly was, but I'd never, I'd never had any, as I say, I'd never had any kind of like, you know, attraction to that sort of thing. Um, mm. So all I could do really was was write the dream down and turn it into like a, a guided visualization. And I had that same dream for about a week. And I think that's kind of what, and I finally got to the library and I read this book about Tantra and Curly and thought, oh, okay, Tantra, that, yeah, that sounds interesting. Um, now, at the time in the, in the 80s, the, pretty much the only popular stuff you could get about Tantra was either Arthur, Arthur Avalon's books, which were pretty okay. incomprehensible, I must admit. I mean, you just come out, you know. Um, <laughs> <laughs> either Arthur Avalon or Sacred Sex. Now, um, right. I would say I wasn't, what I was interested in was ritual. You know, I'd, I'd come up to, I'd started out, I'd done, you know, little bits of ceremonial magic. I'd done um, group work with various Wiccan covens. I'd done this, you know, bizarre kind of like drama therapy stuff with masks. Um, I'd actually trained as a as part of my occupational therapy. Hang on, no, this is before occupational therapy. Sorry, 
but I'd, I'd done some group work, and I was what I was interested in was ritual, mm-hmm. uh, and, I, and the sacred sex stuff was annoyed me because it was at the time it was really heterosexist. It was basically if you're not absolutely straight, you can't do tantra because you know for them tantra yeah. is all about sacred sex. And I was kind of like fuck mm-hmm. off, not interested. And I, you know, I was kind of like coming to grips with my sexuality at the time and deciding that whatever I was, I certainly mm-hmm. wasn't, you know, straight down the line heterosexual. Yeah. Um, so I kind of like put that on the back burner and when I got back in contact with the Wiccans in, in the mid 80s they were kind of like oh you must have been a priest of Carly in your previous life that explains the dream and I'm going to like, bollocks no I'm you know, just again knock it off with the past life stuff I've never been interested in that kind of thing because you hear so much bullshit from people about their past lives so I kind of like put Tantra on the back burner and as I say, throughout the 80s, you know, I'd, I'd occasionally go into a bookshop and say, well, have you got on Tantra? And it was either the art of Tantra, the sex of Tantra, or something really incomprehensible written by a high court judge. <laughs> so I was kind of like, I didn't really get into Tantra proper until I moved to Leeds. And again, this is 86, because, yeah, and in, in Leeds there was this guy who was a member of a MUCOS, the arcane and mystical order of the Knights of Shambhala. For anybody who's never heard of a Mukos, that's why we call it a Mukos because the rest of the big name is so embarrassing. Uh, and a Mukos was started by this this guy <laughs> okay. called Dadaji. He was a kind of like um, very weird guy. He, he fought in the Spanish Civil War. Claims to have met Crowley, although we think he perhaps might have been making that up now because there's no evidence mm-hmm. from Crowley. But anyway, he went to India in the, in the I think, early 50s and ended up getting some kind of weird kind of like um, sadhu initiation. Set himself up as like a, a white sadhu, a white holy man. And, and this okay. guy called Mike McGee, who's a friend of mine, went over to him and met him. And Mike was in the Typhoon Union LTO and he... And, he created this thing called the Mukos, which is kind of like a, an east-west uh, approach to ceremonial magic. It had bits of ceremonial mm-hmm. magic and bits of various tantric and, and yoga traditions that the Dodge had cobbled together into this unholy brew. And I met this guy. Um, he, he came to do a talk at Leeds University Cult Society. And I thought he was really funny because he was saying that, well, you know, one of the old tantric practices is sitting on the corpse, but that's kind of difficult in you know contemporary Britain. So what you should do is wait for go, go and stand on one of the motorways until there's a big pile up, and then rush in and do your corpse sitting before the ambulances turn up. <laughs> of course, he was joking, you know, but I thought that was really funny. So I kind of like ran up to this guy and said, "Oh, I'm interested in tantra. Tell me about tantra. You know, I, I don't want to shag you." I mean, I will if you want, but, you know, it's not, that's nothing to do with Tantra. <laughs> uh, you know, but I am interested in Tantra. Um, so, um, you know, I guess I used to stalk him. I know that sounds horrible now, but he used to, he used to live in this um, kind of like over the road from a bit of woodland. And I used to like hide in, in a tree or in a bush in the woodland. And I'd see him walk along the road. And I'd enter his house and I'd like run in and say, Oh, I was just passing. Any chance of a cup of tea and a chat? You know, we, 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 we became friends despite me stalking him and offering to shag him, which mm-hmm. I think didn't really impress him. Um, and, uh, and eventually, you know, he, he initiated me into a mucos. 
and I got interested in, in okay. tantric exercise and did lots of tantric it's stuff done, with them. Okay, okay. that's where it all started with tantra then. Yeah, so that, I, I, my interest had started off in 82, but it wasn't until 86 or so that I actually yeah. you know, made contact with some genuine practitioners rather than the Hans Shandy Brigade. Um, so there was, I was into chaos magic in Leeds. So, uh, I was a member of a Discordian group called MC Medusa and the Hydra's Teeth. A lovely group uh, where I had the, the the magical name mincing machine. Um, it was all a bit silly. Wow! But good fun. Yeah. So there was that. There was sure. the tantric stuff, and I was also involved with the esoteric order of Dagon. You know, through being a Cthulhu fancier. Um, the, the esoteric order of Dagon never got together and did stuff, but used to write really earnest little essays and, and circulate them in, in you know magazines that now go for a million quid on eBay or something like that. Um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I was also briefly involved with uh, Bertie Howe's lot, you know, the, 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 the Black Snake cult. Uh, I, I, all right, okay. Because I'd, I'd come across their stuff in, I think, in the late 70s when I first went to a pagan moot. And there was a guy at the Pagan Moot who was a Wiccan who was also doing Bertie correspondence course. He, he lent me some of you know the original mimeographed correspondence course stuff. And I just thought, this is fucking mad. Mm-hmm. Interesting, mm-hmm. but fucking mad. Um, and I, I kind of like wrote off... <coughs> I think Dave was involved with, with Le Couffle or the, the Monastery of the Seven Rays or whatever it is, I can't quite remember. And then I wrote off and did some of their exercises. But again, because I was interested in ritual and, you know, doing stuff with other people, you know, like take your trousers off and get into a magic circle and conjure something horrible. Yeah. Because there wasn't that kind of, like, infrastructure for the, for the Black Snake cult, I just kind of, like, got bored with it in the end. If there'd been more people around, and we, you know, we could have done done some interesting rituals, but there wasn't. So I kind of like I left that alone. So Leeds was great for me because I just, I was, I mean, I had no job, you know, I was on state the the doll, I was on state assistance, doing pagan news by this time with mm-hmm. with Rodney Orpheus, you know, doing a doing a, a pagan magazine every three weeks, involved in uh, pagan activism. So I was, I was doing. I was just involved in everything I could get my hands on. So I was doing chaos magic, discordian stuff, um, things with tentacles, tantra, pagan activism. You know, operating a pagan journal, running around conferences, annoying people, um, basically having the sex, drugs, and rock and roll lifestyle without the rock and roll. There are some <laughs> very nice musicians, I have to say. But it was yeah, it was it was great. And I think it was doing all, and it was at some point in the late 80s when I first started to to write little booklets. So I wrote this this book called, you know, the the first shamanic trilogy, uh, Walking Between the Worlds, Two Worlds and In Between and Touched by Fire, which I'm actually thinking of Mm re-releasing with some, uh, possibly this year or next year. Oh, really? With the addition of a lot of... Yeah, because I I don't think they're around anymore at all. I think you can't even get them anymore, can you? They're totally everywhere on the internet, but I know people like physical objects these days. So I am thinking of getting the original three books together, um, along with some new material that never made it out of my magical diary. Um, possibly mm-hmm. a couple of interviews, getting some new artwork done and, and knocking it out as a kind of like limited edition thing. I mean, not it won't be kind of mm-hmm. like, you know, 
made out of baby skin or something like that. But, you know, it'll be a nice book. <laughs> I guarantee it. It'll be lovely. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, I first wrote those those books in the in the late 80s. And, and then after them, I did these two little chaos booklets, uh, the first version of Condensed Chaos, and Chaos served as a user guide. The problem was, was by that time, I was so poor that I couldn't afford to get them printed. And then in 91, I moved to, mm-hmm. to London. And then that's when I kind of like joined the IOT because virtually everybody I knew in London was either in Topi, which I was already involved with by that time, either in Topi or the IOT. And in fact, the guy whose house I was, I was staying, with, staying with had an IOT temple. And I just thought, you know, it's a bit silly if they're going to be having doing mind searing rituals in the basement every Saturday night, and I'm up there, like, kind of, you know, not being able to join in. So I went through the whole, you know, initiation rigmarole, and they were like, "Can you accept that nothing is true?" And I was like, "No." And there was like dead silence. No, you're supposed to say you agree that nothing is true. Well, I don't agree that nothing is true. I think some things can be true. So we had this big <laughs> argument, but they let me in eventually. <laughs> so I guess, you know, um, how I started writing was, I, start, I actually started writing back in about 82 or 81, something like that, because I, I wanted to subscribe to various occult magazines that were floating around. But being a poor student, well, actually, I'd spent all my money on occult books, as you do. Um, I, I thought, well, you know, it'd be nice. Maybe if I write something for these little journals, they'll, they'll send me one free, and, and that's what happened. So, the, you know, the first articles I started writing were for, for various occult journals. And because I still had the contact with... Um, the world of, of fantasy role-playing games, the first article right. I actually got paid for were in White Dwarf, which was the UK's uh, then highly prestigious um, role-playing games magazine. Oh, right. That was great. Right, um, okay. And I was kind of like, wow, I actually get paid for this, right, this crap, you know. Um, I wrote an article on, yeah. on sigils in Dungeons & Dragons, for which I got 40 quid, in, which in you know, 1979 ah. was, was not bad, you know. Um, absolutely absolutely so I, and I, I, what also helped me start right was I, I met this gardenerian high priestess at some we can do and she was kind of like what are you doing right now and I was kind of like well I'm doing this and that and the other and she said well you know have you thought about writing it down and I thought no not really and she, and she said well I think it's a really good idea for you to write stuff down because it's like uh, you know how she explained it to me it was like her thing so if you can, you know, it's all very well doing stuff, but if you can actually write it down and make somebody else understand it, that's almost kind of like the final part of your of your magical process because it means you've earthed it. Sure. It, you've also generated yeah, some yeah. stuff that the next generation of neophytes can use as well, you know, if they're lucky. Um, so, I, and I've always enjoyed writing. To You know, there's that line in the book of the law where it says, write and find ecstasy in writing. And I think, well, actually, that's the one line in the book of the law I really like because I really do enjoy writing. Sometimes it can be painful, it can be <laughs> horrible, but, you know, when it's good, it just, like, flows through me. And it's not like I've written it at all. Sure. I'm kind of like, wow, that's a really good piece. I wonder who wrote that. It came through my fingers, but, you know, I was, I was off with the fairies, you know, and just let my fingers do the talking. So I've always really enjoyed mm-hmm. writing. And I've always written about whatever, you know, 
gets in front of my mind and goes, hey, pay attention to me. And I'm often surprised that other people are interested in it because I know I, I get a bit obsessive about stuff. Um, it's probably what made me quite good. I had a career in, in, in IT for a while, and I think a lot of IT people tend to be a bit obsessive. Um, and I think that can be a problem. Yes, you know. certainly. But, you know, not yeah. everybody wants to hear about gematria at two o'clock in the morning when they're trying to get to sleep, as I have found to my cost, you know. Um, not everybody wants wants to hear about you know the the origin of some obscure Sanskrit word from that's only used in one thirteenth century Shaiva text you know, um, but you know I you know I have to go where my muse takes me he said really pretentiously, uh, but I, yeah I'm, and I'm often I am often surprised that other people find it interesting. I mean when I did that thing the Seasonomicon, I thought it's never going to have much of a reach because. You know this Catholic magic stuff. It's it's not that popular. And when I went to the states to um, and did a tour of the states, I was really gobsmacked to find out there was all these people going, "Oh yeah, we're into the Catholic stuff as well, Phil." And I just thought, "Wow!" I didn't really, really okay. realize, realize how popular it was. You know, I just thought it was me and a bunch of <laughs> strange people who live around Leeds. You know. <laughs> Yeah, well, you see, you see, you can make a living of that. Yeah, well, hopefully. So I'm still trying. <laughs> um, so I guess that's that's how I got to be me is by having you know loads of wacky magical adventures and then going going back and writing about it afterwards. If that makes sense, right? But uh, you mentioned a little bit earlier that um, tantra at some point became a little side path, but it has become much more central to your life nowadays. Or I am wrong? No, you're completely right. I mean, I I, I haven't done a cha anything chaos magic -y, apart from the odd bit here and there since about 1999, and and my gosh, for the last what are we now 2019. 2020. For the 20, last 20 years, 20. I've concentrated pretty much on Tantra. Now, okay. um, I, I think my chaos magic phase was really between, um, let's be generous and say 1985 to, to about 1997, something like that. So 12 years. Um, after that, I just got a bit bored with it all. Um, mm -hmm. And I think, mm -hmm. I think what Wicca did was, was kind of like, I found out I was I was really drawn to if you like devotional modes of magic, and I had a really strong thing affection for goddesses, and I think tantra has almost taken those bits of me over. So the 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 the, the, the types of tantra practice I do are very goddess oriented. There's that I love right. the 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 lyricism and the beauty of the language. Um, I have the intellectual challenge of, of working out what a particular text means. Or, and it's somehow, a lot of the time it's, for me, it's kind of like, imagine doing a jigsaw without having the box lid. And you've got all these bits <laughs> and you, you're trying to fit them together and make sense out of them. And occasionally some, two will slide together and you go, oh, that's interesting. I oh, I understand that, how that and that work together now. Um, so it, it, it can be an intellectual challenge as well because I, I find myself asking questions like, this text says the goddess is beautiful. What does goddess, what does beautiful mean for like a 14th century um, Indian aesthete, you know? So I go away and spend two mm -hmm. years 
um, researching Indian poetics and Indian theories of aesthetic beauty and things like that, and then come back to my practice and think, okay, that makes sense now. So I think I that think sounds a little bit like 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 what you said, obsessive and nerdy again. Oh yeah, it is completely. But you know, um, I like it. I enjoy it, and I think that's that's always you know that's my basic rationale for doing all this weird shit. Is I enjoy it. I'm not bothered about you know, yeah, yeah. Enlightenment. Well, you get the impression when you listen also to your past life. Sorry, what? Uh, th that's the, the impression that you also get uh, when when you talk about your your past that you oh, always my think past life, my own past life enjoyed actually, them. Yeah, yeah I enjoyed. Yeah, your it. own. I'm talking about your own past life. Yeah, yeah. All right. No, you're not talking about a past life when I was a you know a priest of Atlantis or a, a mosquito or something. No, 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 no. Good. Um, yeah, and you know, I, I once sat on, on this panel at this conference and the, the you know the whole the thing the whole thing was why do you do your magic and some people talked about enlightenment and wanting to be a better person and more spiritual and all that stuff and I was kind of I enjoy it you know and I think that should be mm -hmm. rational enough mm -hmm. you know, I don't actually care whether it has any real world effects or anything it's, it, I enjoy it you know I, I enjoy the, the the arguments and and the madness and the you know being thrown out of people's yeah. houses at two o'clock in the morning. That keeps you young, probably as well. Uh, I don't know about that. I mean, I'm I'm slowing down. You know, uh, I'm mostly I'm I'm knackered by ten o'clock at night, and takes me ages <laughs> takes me ages to cast a circle <laughs> nowadays. And, you know, I have to get out of my wheelchair. Yeah. And, yeah. Yeah, well, yeah. Know, <laughs> I, I, I'm I'm not able to like do mind blasting gooey tick rituals at you know. Half the night anymore, but yeah, you know, I've, I, sure, I did but maybe them. it's not no longer necessary. I don't, because I don't think it is. I mean, no, I, I, we did this phase where I, we, yes, we were doing uh, we were doing summonings from the key of the from Crowley's Goetia, and I had a I had a magic circle mm -hmm. out of I'd made out of sticking tape in the in the same room that I slept, which possibly might not have been a terribly good idea, and we had a, like a you know a triangle of art and. We did it. We did a whole bunch of these very interesting workings until we figured out that there was kind of like they were creating jobs for themselves. So like our lives got mm -hmm. substantially. The more goetic evocations we did, the more weird our lives got, and and, and the more situations right. we got ourselves into where we say, "How are we going to solve this?" I don't. Let's call some demons up. You know. <laughs> as you do, and eventually we just thought, mm, maybe we better just walk away from the triangle, you know. Um, <laughs> I don't know. Um, sorry, I've completely, completely lost the thread of the conversation again. I'm good at that. You just let me talk. No, just, no, no. no. You're, talk, you're, no. You're, but, it, but it's very nice because you finally pick up the, the line again. And a, But I have okay. a question for you anyway. Yeah, okay, um, um, that's good. Yeah, tantra is yeah. a word like Gnosticism or other things like that, where nowadays you find about 275 definitions uh, different from each other four. Um, I know it's hard to define, but how would you in brief define your tantra, the tantra that you mean? What What is it exactly? Can you give a definition of tantra as it should be? Uh, that's very difficult. I know. Um, it's a pity I've turned the computer off because I, it, I've just done. I'm just doing 
transcribing some audio lectures at the moment where I've actually gone into this whole issue of defining Tantra. In its original form, it's kind of like the, the, the esoteric wing of wider religions. So, um, mm-hmm. what's important about Tantras? They're scriptural traditions. You know, their the, the prescriptive literature is held to be authored by um, Shiva or Vishnu or the goddess. So, that's one thing. They're initiatory traditions. If you're not initiated, sorry, mate. We can't talk to you. You know, it's this is all secret stuff. Mm-hmm. It's not for everybody. It's only for people who've been initiated. Well, initiate pretty much anybody, but you have to be initiated. That's another important thing. Um, thirdly, uh, it's a highly ritualized universe, so it's not like you do less ritual, although depending on how you practice, that isn't necessarily true. But it is a highly ritualized universe. Um, what else? Yeah, it's it's like an esoteric add-on to a broader religious tradition. So if if you like, you've got kind of like the, the Vedic religion or Brahmanism, and then Tantra is kind of like the higher degree, if you like. It's a it's a higher, or this is what the Tantrics would say anyway. It's a higher revelation than the than the exoteric religion, but it still is a religion. Right. It shares many of the features, you know. Um, uh, absolutely. Is, 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 is it dogmatic? Is, is Sorry? Is it dogmatic? No, I don't think it is dogmatic. Um, people get a lot of, like, weird ideas because, yes, it, it does It does have injunctions, you know. There are things you're supposed to do. There are things you're not supposed to do. Uh, one of the things you have to do is you honour your guru. You know, you have to treat your guru like he's a, you know, like he's an avatar of Shiva and, you know. I tried that with my guru. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I used to bow down to him and he, he ran off to New Zealand and emigrated. I <laughs> uh, managed to catch up with him eventually. I did it again, and he was kind of like, no, 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 don't do that, don't do that, don't do that. Um, so, and and this, I guess, some, something about me that sometimes confuses people, because nowadays people say, oh, well, you don't need a guru, you can get it all off the internet. You know, I am my own inner guru. And I was kind of like, well, you know, speaking out of my own experience, and all, this is what's worked for me, it might not work for you, is that having somebody who's already done those practices, who understands a bit of the cultural contracts and the history, that's actually really useful if you're going to do those practices yourself. And that, you know, that also is true, I think, if whether if you're being a Thelemite or a Wiccan or, or even, dare I say, a curse magician, to have somebody who's willing to kind of like walk you through the baby steps, counsel you when you get two bananas and, you know, this yeah. is what I, I used to say about my guru is that he's the sort of guy I can ring up at three o'clock in the morning and I'm feeling like I'm going a bit mad. I think the astral fairies are knocking on my door. Can you help me? And he'll be like, Phil, shut up, go to sleep. You know, we have that kind of relationship. <laughs> and I think that this is why having a, a, a magical pedagogical pedagogic relationship is actually really important and really useful, even in this days of, of squat cast and Zoom and everything. You know, having people to talk to <laughs> will take you uh, unconditional love and trust, but actually stomp on your bullshit when it needs to stomp on is really fucking important for me. And I would, you know, I, I think it's... Absolutely. But don't, don't <laughs> you think that... Um, Given given all that's available for young people or, or not so young people who start into that world nowadays, it's become almost a little bit harder to find that person because oh, yeah. so much else is available. I think it is, I mean, I, but then I also think that's that was the case for me. You know, 
Um, in my kind of like zigzag trail through the cult, I've met a lot of lunatics. Um, you know, the, the the people who've genuinely affected my my life in a good way, and I've looked up to and seen as authorities have been relatively few. You know, it took me seven years mm-hmm. to find a tantric mm-hmm. guru. You know, um, even when right. they were more more less thin on the ground than they are nowadays. You know, and. What I think is a problem nowadays is that most people who who put themselves into that public kind of like teacher face, they're doing stuff like this. They're doing mm-hmm. they're doing squadcasts for thirty or people. You know, they're doing Zoom lectures. Mm-hmm. They're, they're they're hiring out Madison Square Gardens and talking to twenty thousand people and charging twenty dollars a head. Great if you can do that, but having yeah. that one to one relationship with somebody mm-hmm. who's who's willing to just put up with you and not necessarily teach you or, or be, you know, a wise guide or anything bollocks like that. But, you know, I think it's I think that's still important. I think people are still looking for it. I mean, a few months ago, I met up with some people in London who were kind of like, of various ages, and they're all in, involved in an in a online tantric community that I'm involved with a bit. And they were also, you know, a lot of them are very experienced at doing, you know, podcasts and Zoomos and Skypes and what have you, and I'm not. Uh, and they were all saying, oh, it's so nice to meet up with people and, you know, sit in the same room with them. Sure. And hear me gassing sure. up. Well, that's that's probably something now we are going completely out of the occult, uh, something we could have also learned now from this actual COVID crisis, that when some suddenly everybody did everything over the internet again, and, and you find out, hey, there is something missing even in your daily life, you know? Yeah. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Um, how would you, how would you, a youngster who is interested in the occult as you were when you suddenly thought about those nude witches, um, how would you uh, ask such a young guy to start up nowadays? How would you f- be able to find the right person for him or her? Um, how do you go for that? Um, well, I think you have a lot more opportunities nowadays, and you know, there's a much wider social scene, uh, depending where you live in which part of the world, of course. Uh, mm-hmm. And there is stuff on the internet, of course, and you know, you can do these. You know, you, you, I think it's much easier to meet people than it was certainly in the eighties and nineties. Um, what I would say is, don't read any too, too many occult books. You know, most of my ideas about the occult I got from reading books that were about the occult. If you read too many occult books and you just end up mad, you know, just mm-hmm. keep it to a minimum. You know, if you can mm-hmm. get away with reading maybe three in the first year, you know, amassing a huge library is okay if you've got the money and the space. But really, how many books do you need? You know, um, yeah, I, 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 I've got rid of most of my occult books. I think I've got about three. Oh, if really? you don't, don't count the ten books on Tantra, which are all, you know, trans, scholarly translations of, of critical texts from the 14th century. If you don't count them and all the related books on, on India, um, Indian sociology or whatever, uh, I think I've got three or four books on the occult. I've yeah. got a book of yeah. the law yeah. somewhere. Okay. But anyway, okay. so, so yeah, don't read too many books. Don't take yourself too, too seriously. For God's sake, don't take other people too seriously because most of them aren't worth taking seriously. They're, they're, you know, you're going to meet a lot of nutcases and a lot of fruitcakes and a lot of people who just want to jump your bones because you're young and tender, you know. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I'm just from, I'm just, but, I'm, um, I'm not making, you know, I'm not, these are not, these are not considered answers. I'm just telling you what's on the front of my head at the moment. No, 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 but that's okay. Um, uh, now I have a final question for you because unfortunately, but that hour has passed rather quickly and it was great to listen to you. Well, um, you could always I, have me back for a part about, two, about, Uh, of course, uh, with pleasure, with pleasure. Uh, we'll do that one day. Um, the, I another question I have still now. for you I is... Tell he's, he's, pet, he's pet. No, he's not running away. You don't know me yet. Uh, you'll, you'll have me soon back. I'm glad um, there's no, no video. But, um, I look, I look we were, like a whole goblin here. <laughs> we have uh, heard you talk about your, your, not your past lives, but your past of your life yes. uh, but what about the future where do you think this is going to go uh, well, what's your plans any books that we should know about anything that's coming up that we should talk about oh yes 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 okay um well currently i have uh, three is it three or is it four four small booklets that are only available from treadwell's bookshop which are the write-ups of four lectures i did in 2019 looking at the early history of the chakras um so the first one is is a kind of like overview of the whole chakra scene and then i do a little bit about um Tan chakras in the early tantric traditions then books two and three look at um you know Theosophical Appropriations of, tan of Chakras, James Morgan Price, Crowley on Chakras, Blavatsky on Chakras, um, Ledbetter on Chakras, that sort of thing. And the last one is about Jung. So they're still available from Treadwell's Bookshop. And if people wanted to buy them, I'd be oh, very okay. pleased because of course. that's the only place you sure. can get them from. So there's those. Um, I've just published uh, a book by somebody else, uh, which has just sold out, called Yakshini Magic by Mike McGee. Now, Mike McGee, as you may know, is a mm -hmm. highly respected um, practitioner and, and translator of, of uh, tantric material. His, his, his website, shivashakti.com, one of the oldest websites right. on the web to, to, to provide you know good quality translations of, of tantric texts. He's just given me the... Um, Uh, a manuscript for his next book, which we're going to call Carly Magic, and that will probably be released hopefully later this year as, as a limited edition hardback. Um, people want to follow me on Twitter. I uh, forget my handle, but you can slot that in. Um, um, <laughs> you know, it will be announced when that's ready. So this is my second foray in, into into becoming a book publisher. Um, the first book, as I say, sold out in its hardback limited edition form uh, very recently. We'll probably do a, a print-on-demand version soon. So that's going on. Um, as I've said, I want to do a, um, a limited edition, probably a POD version of my Shamanic Trilogy. Um, mm -hmm. What else? Blah, blah, blah. Oh, yeah, I'm currently... Recording a series of lectures um, on the origins of Tantra for Treadwell's Bookshop, which will only be available through their subscriber lecture thing that they've just started up. And this is the idea is you, you, you punt up some money for, you know, I think it's 12 quid a month or something like that, yeah. and you have access to all their online lectures. So I'm, I'm, yeah, um, see, yeah, yeah. I'm kind of like retooling some of my old lectures on the origins of Tantra, Tantra of Possession, that kind of thing, and, and kind of like re recording them. 
um, and doing slides for them and then putting them up as giving them to them and they're putting them up as, as video. So they'll be available. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, what yeah. else? You, no, really. I mean, before well, that, all this, that's already quite a, quite a lot. Before all this yeah. lockdown started, I was going to do some tantra workshops in the UK. Um, but we'll have to wait for the lockdown to finish, I think. Um, but yeah, sure. and, and, and I'm, and I'm, idea where 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 your work, your tantric my, work, my, or my other pers- esoteric my, work is going to carry you. Esoteric path. Um, I'm still hooked on tantra. I think I'll probably die hooked yeah. on tantra. I can't see me abandoning it. I can't see me going back and doing a chaos magic book. Um, I haven't done any of that stuff mm-hmm. for twenty years. Although I've had some interesting conversations about that with Patricia McCormack recently. So. Who knows? Who oh, knows? right, right. Well, Patricia McCormack, who I might say, has been on this show a few weeks ago and, and, mm-hmm. and did a lovely interview. And if uh, you have not heard it, go and uh, listen to it. Huge, huge respect for it. Yeah. You go buy her books. She's absolutely. absolutely. She's wonderful. One of the finest well, Phil, in the world. Well, um, Phil, I'll end this talk with you with a warning. I will come back to you at some point and we'll have okay. a part two of this. Okay. So, uh, <laughs> Enjoy this. Uh, and we're uh, Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for being with us here tonight. It was great. My to pleasure. Have you My pleasure. And uh, it I was wasn't looking re- forward to really it. I have to perfect. say that. I was a bit nervous, you know. I, just, <laughs> I, I won't have anything to say. It'll be terrible, you know. I. I'm I'm glad I was able to make you nervous. No, you you, you totally <laughs> put me at ease, man. It was it was. Very good. Very good. Happy to hear that. Uh, Happy to hear that. Thank you, Phil. And have a good rest of the evening. And yes, we'll be in touch again. Thank you for that. Super. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Bye bye, everybody in Read. Sorry, in Listener Land, whatever.
Our third musical piece today was again performed like the two first ones by Spanish dark medieval pagan folk group Trobar de Morte and their lead lady, Lady Morte. Wonderful music, I believe, wonderful band and do go to the show notes to find out more about them onto their website because I really think they deserve it and they have also just released a new CD if I am not wrong. Okay, and um, that was our interview with Phil Hind today. I hope you enjoyed. I hope you had as much fun to listen to him as I had interviewing him. But not only fun, it was really, really highly interesting. And I enjoyed the time I passed with him very, very much. I hope you did so too. Thank you for being with us today, friends and listeners. That was episode number 22 of our season four. And what that means is that episode 22, our seasons now, they have 24 episodes. So it's only two more to go. Wow. And so by in two weeks, we will arrive at the end of this season four. And that means we will start season five after just one week break on July the 5th. We will start with season five. Right. I will tell you what's happening next week in one second. And uh, just to let you know that with season five, we will do a little further improvements. I will probably introduce some roundtable discussions or some special discussions on a topic with a guest on top of the regular interview shows. So you should get more content and how we distribute that. I will let you know more about that at the end of this season four, but look forward to a new, a few new improvements in that sense. Also, I want to revise a little bit how the Ex Libris episodes will be uh, built. So I decided not to do an Ex Libris show still in June, but wait until season five before we start with new Ex Libris shows. So wait for a slightly modified uh, Ex Libris format. Then in season five in mid-July, you will hear more about that also when we start season five. For the moment, what I still want to do is to announce who will be our guest on next week's show on episode 23. And I will be very happy to welcome British author Gary Lackman. Gary, who has appeared already several times in short appearances on this podcast because he was with us here for uh, a topic on Colin Wilson that we did back in August 2017. Wow, almost three years. And he appeared twice when we presented O Culture Berlin and also another um, the Black Flame Montreal uh, conference where he both uh, was supposed to appear. So Gary, you all know him, of course, by his books, but also because he has already spoken briefly on this show and next week. It's a complete interview and highly interesting interview with him, uh, with Gary Lackman. Well, that was our show for today. I can only say thank you for listening. Do come back next week to episode 23. And for now, what can I say? Take care. Stay tuned. Hear you soon.